0: uh, claims that she's a very unusual guest, so I'm going to let her do most of her own intro. Her name is Whitney Johnson. So, Whitney, how you doing?
1: <laughs> I'm fine, Richard. Thank you for having me. Um okay. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, yeah, and we'll, we'll see how unusual I am. But uh, yeah, I'm very happy to be here.
0: All right. Well, tell me about uh, what work are you uh, engaged in right now? And what's going on with you?
1: yeah so i um I help people become better bosses and build great teams um my background i I originally uh graduated from college in music and made my way to New York with my husband after we graduated and discovered Wall Street because we needed to put food on the table and as I worked on Wall Street um, eventually connected with Clayton Christensen of the Harvard Business School, who had written a book called The Innovator's Dilemma. And when I saw that book, when I read that book, Uh. I had this big aha that um, what I was seeing on Wall Street, I was covering emerging markets, telecom at the time, and realizing that the reason that wireless The wireless estimates that I had in my financial models every quarter were too low and they kept getting beaten was that they were disrupting the wireline telephony. And so after I did that work, I had another big aha is that this whole theory of disruption that we were applying to products, to telecom, to services, to companies and countries actually also applies to people. And so what I'm working on is I've written a book called Disrupt Yourself, which takes that theory of disruption, applies it to people. And most recently, I released a book called Build an A-Team that um, helps you become a boss that people want to work for by using this framework of personal disruption.
0: Well, let's talk about the uh, disrupt yourself concept first. Why, why bother to disrupt yourself? You only do it if you're unhappy or you want to accomplish more or what's the reason to do it?
1: Ah. It's a great question. Well, because we're all learning machines. Like we are wired to be learning machines. To not know how to do something, to figure out how to do it, to master it, and then to start over again. So basically, to learn, leap, and repeat. And so the reason you disrupt yourself is that you've learned something. You're at the top of a learning curve. And once you're at that top of the learning curve, you, um, the, the neuroscience says that you start to get bored. And when you get bored, you. Um, you start to precipitate your own demise. You dial things in. And so in order for you to become alive again, stop dying sort of intellectually or emotionally, you jump or you disrupt yourself and you start the process all over again.
0: Yeah, so With um, my kids, I call this the amateur to expert cycle. I guess I just have a different name for it, but I want them to yeah. go through this as much as possible so that they don't fear doing this because I see a lot of people are afraid to try and do things. They just, you know, they're into one thing and that's it.
1: That's right. Because it's hard. It's scary to try new things because it means that we don't know how to do it. And we're not very good at not knowing how to do things. It certainly has to get older.
0: So uh, do you see that this is a universal thing that people are interested in? Or is it only a certain segment of people that are interested in this? Or is it really like everyone wants to, it's just fear that holds them back?
1: Yeah, it's universal. And, and as you say, it's fear. I mean, it's it's been interesting for me to You know, when I first introduced these ideas, I thought, oh, this is interesting. People who have a background in technology or who are familiar with the theory of disruption, they're finding it engaging because they understand the whole S-curve concept. So they're like, they get it and they just, it's a new way to frame how they're thinking. And so that was the initial thought. But then what I've discovered is that um, people whether they are at the beginning of their career they instinctively understand this because they say oh that's why things aren't easy for me and people who are um late in their career and they're getting ready to do something new they're like oh that's why i feel the need to jump to new learning curve because i'm at the top and it's time to do something new and you get people who are mid-career and they're saying oh this is why sort of throughout my career every three or four years i've changed jobs um people in college they're finding that it's useful to them and it certainly does uh, apply across industries. And then, as I said, you know, in my current book, I'm talking about building a team. It's helpful for people as they're thinking about their teams as well. So it's 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 quite agnostic as to industry as well as to um as well as to demographic.
0: And I guess, like you said, people either will start to sabotage themselves, or they can choose to disrupt themselves and move on in a positive way. So if something's gonna happen. You got to choose, right?
1: Exactly. That's the interesting thing is that you really do precipitate your own demise. And so you can make the decision like, do I disrupt myself or do I get disrupted? In fact, I actually have this hypothesis that when people sometimes people, you know, people lose jobs, right? In the United States, 10 to 15% of the um, workforce loses their job, they get laid off or fired every single year. So like most people at some point, they're going to lose a job. And so people are like, well, it was politics. And you're like, well, yeah, politics just means that like you were trying to play on this playground and there was someone on the playground who was bigger than you were and you can't really like make stuff happen when there's you know a bouncer standing at the door of what you're trying to get done and so I, I believe that sometimes the reason we lose our job is because we're at the top of a curve or we're on the wrong curve and we actually in our gut know that we need to jump and we're just not willing to do it and so the universe kind of just cosmically gives us a nudge so that we'll move on to a new curve. The beauty of this is is that whether you jump to a new curve or you're pushed off the curve, in either case, it really is an opportunity for us to grow and to develop.
0: Well, before we go into the team building part, what are some suggestions on how to do it right versus uh, do it wrong?
1: So I would say, um, So uh, what I've done in in the book Disrupt Yourself is I've uh, outlined a seven-point framework of personal disruption. And so once you've made that decision that it's time for you to disrupt yourself, like you just know that it is, you're at the top of a learning curve, maybe you've been in a role for three or four years, for example, Um, some things that you want to do to do it effectively are, number one, to... Take on market risk to play where other people aren't playing. I think frequently we look when we're thinking about doing something new, we tend to want to, we look at a playground and we're like, oh, there's a lot of people over there. So I'm going to go do that thing because we can see it. We can kind of scope it out. It seems like it makes sense. Um, but the fact is is that the theory of disruption says that that's actually pretty risky to go take on competitive risk where there's a lot of other people doing it. What I advocate for is taking on market risk where there's a, you don't even know if there's a playground. And if there is a playground, no one wants to play on it. And this is something that you've done over the last couple of years with your podcast is you said, I want to learn about cryptocurrency. Not a lot of people were doing that. You could have done a podcast on something else where a million people were doing it. You're like, no, I'm going to go learn about this other thing that other people aren't doing. And so you took on market risk. If there's a market, if people are, interested in this, then there's no competition. So that's one of the very first levers of change in terms of disrupting yourself is skew toward market risk as much as you possibly can. And then the second one, I would say there's seven levers, but I'll just mention one other is to play to your, not only to your strengths, but to your distinctive strengths. So the things that you do well, that people around you don't, and when you're willing to play to your strengths, you start to feel strong and when you feel strong, then you're willing to play where other people aren't playing. And and that sounds so obvious, but frequently people actually don't know what their strengths are. And even when they do, we tend to not want to use them because they're easy for us. Like, it's super easy. Like, why would I even think anybody think that's valuable? Because it's so easy. And yet we have to be willing to be aware of what our strengths are to use them and own them. And when we're willing to do that and then, like I said, pair it with market risk, you're much more likely to be able to be a successful disruptor as opposed to a failed disruptor.
0: Well, when you mention strengths, I think people might say, oh, well, I'm good at accounting, so that's all I know. I mean, it, it may not just be that they wouldn't be excited about using their strengths in other places. They may not know how to. And I would guess the stronger they are, it's something the less their mind can think of how else that could be applied that same strength.
1: Yeah, that's a really good, interesting question. Yeah, so um, so one of the things w- when you do with something like that where you're like, okay, I know I'm good at an accounting, and this goes to this idea of distinctive strength. So if you're good at accounting and you're at an accounting firm, for example, and there's, you know, 30 other accountants, then that's a strength. But, yeah, you're sort of like, well, this is just what we do. We do accounting. But a distinctive strength is a person who says, you know, I'm really good at accounting. I really like doing it. Um, Why don't I go work with five people who are really good at marketing? Because then what happens is that you start to see what you know how to do in a very different light. And all these people that are very good at marketing will look at your accounting and be like, wow, that's really cool that you know how to do that. That's cool that you know how to balance books. That's cool that you know how to actually help us figure out how to make sure that we can run our business successfully. And so what is a strength now becomes a distinctive strength. And so the advice that I would give for someone who's like, this is what I'm good at, but I don't know what else to do, is to put yourself in situations as much as possible where you're talking to people who do things completely different from what you do, because they'll start to show you to yourself, and you'll start to see different applications
0: for it. Is there um, a need or a room for coaching, you know, disruption coaches? based on your method, for instance, you know, where people just they want to do it but they're just stuck. They don't know how.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting that you asked that question. So just yesterday I was in Pittsburgh at an event on um, the uh, the Internet, international coaching federation where I was doing a keynote event to like three hundred coaches and I've done a course on how do you use this framework to coach. So yeah, absolutely. What this framework does is it it helps you manage through change. And so whether you're scaling a business or Building a team or trying to manage your career, you as a coach, if you're a coach, this gives you a framework to help you guide your clients through this process.
0: Any um, examples of people you've seen that like completely changed themselves to where they were unrecognizable from before?
1: Completely changed themselves where they were unrecognizable.
0: Huh. I was being a bit dramatic, a bit dramatic yeah. you know what I mean? like any examples <laughs> I
1: that like, you like uh, that or yeah I'll, <laughs> I'll give you one example that i think will be um fun in particular for your audience so a fellow by the name of Vala Afshar i interviewed him for the disrupt yourself my podcast not too long ago and um he was trained as an engineer And um, was working at a company called Interassist and just focused on engineering and thought, you know, his life would be over time, he would just do engineering. Well, when um, their company was bought out by a private equity firm, the new CEO came to him and said, I want you to move into customer service. Well, anybody who's been an engineer is like, I don't want to move to customer service. Like that is like about five steps down. But he was his boss. He said customer service in our organization is actually hugely important. I need you to do this. So Vala did it. Well, it turns out he was actually very good at customer service. And then in the process of doing customer service, he started reaching out to people inside of their organization Um, on some of the internal social networks. And then his boss was like, wow, this is interesting. Why don't you try doing it externally? And so we started doing that externally and started having conversations with people um, across, you know, with clients, et cetera. And so a few years later, when they needed a new chief marketing officer, they tapped Vala to be the chief marketing officer at the organization. And then fast forward to today, after being a chief marketing officer for a few years, today he's the chief digital evangelist is salesforce.com. So that's a good example of a person who has been disrupted, who's disrupted himself, and of taking some core competencies and then just continually reconfiguring them in different roles. And so taking those strengths and making them distinctive strengths because of where um, where he situated
0: himself. Oh, very cool. So how did this lead into uh, creating teams and you know, that skill?
1: Yeah, it's such a great question. So one of the things that happened is as I was um, talking, you know, after I wrote Disrupt Yourself in t- late 2015, people, two, a couple things happened. Number one is companies would say to me, well, I'm not going to let you come talk to people inside my company because they'll leave because, you know, it's Disrupt Yourself. And I was like, okay, well, that's a business problem. I got to figure out how to solve. But the other piece of it that I thought that was even more important long-term was the fact that I it wasn't just about like disrupting yourself. It was if you as a business want to remain relevant, if you want to lower your we're about to be disrupted score, you have to make it possible for the people inside of your organization to disrupt themselves. And so then as we did our research, what we discovered is that every single person is on a learning curve, including you, and that you build a great team by optimizing those learning curves. So at any given time, you on your team want to have about 70% of your people in the sweet spot, sort of the steep part of the learning curve, where they know enough but not too much and can be quite innovative. You want to have 15% of your people at the low end of the learning curve where they're not very good at what they're doing. But because it's all new to them. They ask questions like, why do we do it like this? And in that, why do we do it like this? You start to get get insights that will lead to innovation. And then at any given time, you want 15% of your people at the high end. Now, these are the people who are your masters and you think, oh, we need more masters. Well, no, you don't need more masters. You need a few masters who can bring people along. But once you get to that mastery stage, you actually, because you're so good at what you're doing, and we talked about this earlier, you can get bored and bored people get complacent and bored and complacent people don't innovate, they get disrupted. And so this book is um, talking to managers and saying, if you want to create an ecosystem where people are innovative, if you want to create a great team, you'll make it possible for people to be learning. And then you'll optimize where people are in the learning curves. And so I talk through how do you manage people at the low end? How do you manage people in the sweet spot? And how do you manage people at the high end of their learning curves?
0: Well, um, one thing I've done that, I, that seemed to work is I asked some of the people that work for me to read certain books and tell me what they learned from it. You know, and that seems to work. And, give them new ideas and everything. But, um, sometimes it seems like if you push someone too far, they blow up, you know, if you tell them, all right, you're going to be doing this now and you didn't do it before. And it's way out of their comfort zone. They start to, um, I don't know, maybe it's just me they start to like malfunction and fall apart and not be able to do anything yeah. right. And then they, you know, have you seen that phenomenon? Why does that happen? Yeah.
1: You know, it's, a, it's a great question. I, I think, so I, I have a couple of thoughts there. Number one is that, you know, whenever you jump to a new learning curve, some, sometimes it's going to be the wrong learning curve. Um, you know, if you look, come back to disruption theory, you know that when you, um, you know, play where no one else is playing, play to your strengths, et cetera, there's your odds of success are six times higher, but that still only goes from 6% to 36%. So there's still the possibility that it's not the right curve. Um, the other thing that I think sometimes happens is that, Um, when people get into this sweet spot of the learning curve and you're trying to push them, um, give them stretch assignments because you know that then they will be innovative. It also sometimes sometimes happens, or it not happens, a stretch assignment means there's a real risk of failure. Like people can fail, like that's a real possibility. And if if they can't fail, then it's not really a stretch assignment. Um, I think the other thing that sometimes happens is that when we give people more, like they're really competent. So you're like, you're good. I'm going to give you more to do. Sometimes what happens is we just give them more things to do and we don't take things off their plate. So they don't, when, when, when I'm saying give them stretch assignments, I don't mean just give them more. I mean, if they've got five things they're doing, you give them two new things, but you take two things off their plate, give them to someone else for whom it will be a stretch assignment and they'll move along the curve. So those are some thoughts that I have in terms of why sometimes it may not work when you're trying to stretch them, but it doesn't necessarily work. And and, and so those are some thoughts to consider.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, how do you know when you're you know putting someone on the rack and stretching them that uh, it's the right thing for them? You know, Or if you're doing it yourself, if you're disrupting yourself, you're a part of the way through the process and it's just not feeling good or it's just like super frustrating mm. or, you know, what are the yeah. uh, the signs that tell you maybe you need to like change course a little bit?
1: Uh, great question. Um, so there are four questions that um, you can ask yourself. So when you're at the low end of a learning curve, um, it, you're going to be working hard. If you think about an S, Right. You're like time is passing. Time is passing. Not much is happening. Not much is happening. A lot's happening, but just it's exponential growth. It's not happening. But but then to your point is, well, how do you know if nothing's happening or if something's happening and it's just early on the learning curve? And so four questions you can ask yourself is, number one, am I playing where no one else is playing? you know am i taking on market risk as much as possible so if you've gotten a new job for example and it turns out that over time someone else on the team is already doing that job because their job has evolved to just deal with market needs and you're you mm. come in and you think this is a great job well it turns out if they're already doing that you've actually inadvertently taken on competitive risk so you want to look for am i taking on market risk and just playing where other people are not um, whether with a product or you personally. The second question you want to ask yourself is, am I playing to my strengths? Um, we tend to sometimes want to do things that are hard because um, they look exciting and we think, I want to know how to do that, but we're actually not. You know, you know, I want to be an accountant, but we don't actually have an aptitude to be an accountant. If you're trying to climb a learning curve for something that you don't have an aptitude for, but you just think it looks exciting, that's going to be problematic. Um, so then the third question you want to ask yourself, is it hard but not debilitating. So if you're Mm -hmm. waking up every morning and you're like, this is really hard, but like, I feel really alive. Like I, I, it's hard, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. Then, then growth is probably going to come. Um, if you are waking up and you're dreading, like you're just dreading it and you might even be getting sick. Like I've had points in my career where I knew it was the wrong curve because I was getting sick like a lot. And I wasn't, you know, and I'm a pretty healthy person. So that's another thing is, is it hard, but not debilitating? And then the fourth question you want to ask yourself is, are you gaining momentum? So um, if you're, if, for example, you've started a new role and like last week, you actually knew what you were doing for four hours out of the 40 hours. This week, is it eight hours? Um, and so you just want to see is the momentum happening? Because the starting point, because of exponential growth, the starting point is to a large degree irrelevant. You just need to figure out are you growing and how fast? So if you can answer yes to those four questions, am I taking on market risk? Am I playing to my strengths? Am I, is it hard but not debilitating? And is it, um, Am I gaining momentum? If the answers are no to all those questions, then it's probably time to jump to a new curve. If the answers are yes to it, you know all four all four, then just you know you're at the loan of the curve. If it's three or four, then what you want to say to yourself is you probably don't have enough information. You want to persist a little bit longer, track those four different questions. And then within you know a fairly uh, reasonable period of time, you will have some sense of, okay, yeah, I need to keep going. Or no, this actually isn't the right curve. I need to, I need to, you know, cut my losses and move on.
0: That's cool. It Makes a lot of sense. It's very useful, you know. Because <clears throat> the concept of um, disrupting yourself, like I said, it's. I'm sure some people are excited to do it. Some are fearful. Some are like, oh, I don't want to do this. You know, at least it gives them a guide, uh, guidelines. You know, and are they doing it right? Are they just, you know, instead of a stretch goal, it's a rip your arm off goal. You know, they're heading in the right direction.
1: Right. So, and I think uh, one of the ways... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Oh, what I was going to say, so tell me, you know, about eating your own cooking, as they say, like, what are you doing to disrupt yourself? Where are you going headed with things lately? Mm.
1: It's a great question. Um, yeah, it's good to eat your own cooking. So... Um, Lately, uh, well, I just launched a book, um, and so, and the process that comes with that, although I'm not sure that I would argue that that's disrupting myself. So, what I'm going to do to disrupt okay. myself and do some things that are new that I don't know how to do is I'm in the process of developing a workshop, um, around building a team for people who are trying to build great teams that will not be only administered by me, but I'll have people who work for me, who are facilitators that will go into companies and administer administers workshops so that it can be at a price point. that's more reasonable, but that's kind of unusual for me because I've got to figure out how do I create this in a way that it can be replicated and delivered by people who aren't me. Um, another thing that I'm working on is, um, um, I'm, I'm trying to, um, get my diagnostic. So I've got this learning curve diagnostic that helps you figure out where you are on the curve. And actually that's actually not disrupting either. That's just building it out. I guess the best way I'm disrupting myself is I'm trying to go from a mom and pop kind of solopreneur to actually building a real scalable business, which involves me being a CEO and not micromanaging and, mm-hmm. and being more organized. And that, that requires some personal disruption, like being organized and not putting my hands on everything. That's a bit hard for me. So I'm, I'm having some growing pains, but I'm figuring it out.
0: Yeah. Well, I would say, I mean, you know, who am I to advise, but I guess some unasked for advice for everyone listening and you is uh, you know, seek out mentors for wherever path you want to take, especially if it's disruptive and you don't know where you're going because they'll accelerate your progress and they'll keep you from falling off the track. And it just helps tremendously. So if you want to learn how to delegate and set up systems and run a business where you, you just act as the CEO and you're not doing the micromanaging, then you seek out gurus that do that stuff and learn from them. That's, I guess, my, again, unasked for advice. That's great advice. Yes.
1: Thank you. That's great advice. Um, you when you said that I thought oh you know what there's a person that I had reached out to that we were trying to connect because I wanted to get some um, advice from and so as a consequence of what you just said I'm going to be a little bit more persistent in making sure that that happens so thank you
0: yeah well mean again I don't mean to turn us into something different but you know podcast for you and for everyone listening is that I get to learn about industries and so that's another way to learn about something go interview. You know, people that are great at management, for instance, or great at delegation or whatever, you know, accounting, whatever you want to do, because you get all these perspectives from a given industry and you could assimilate that and then make your path a lot quicker and faster. So that's another great way I found literally. That's like literally what we're doing right now. That's how I learned. So it's just another uh, helpful hint for people.
1: I Yeah, I love it. Helpful for a hint for all your listeners and a helpful hint for me. So thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, cool. Well, um. Well, uh, a couple more questions for you about teams. I, I haven't asked enough about it. Uh, you know, you talked about making sure that they're in different spots of the learning curve, they're engaged, they're not bored. What other uh, things have you found that are, like, critical to making good teams that work and don't fight each other?
1: Yeah, so I, I touched on this. I think one of the big ones that we we miss is that over time, you know, when you've got a team that's in place, over time their roles have shifted to just manage the, the business as it's growing. And so when you hire people, you bring new people onto the team, just make sure that the job that you're hiring them for is a job that actually needs to be done. And it isn't a job that someone else isn't already doing. The second piece of advice I would give around that is that whenever we hire someone, we're hiring them to do a functional job. So I'm hiring them to do accounting to build on what you said earlier, Um, but they're also hiring them to do an emotional job. And so be really clear on what emotional jobs you're hiring them to do. Um, You know, you, you want, an emotional job of them, you know, being able to contribute, to be able to to really, you know, show up and, and be um, energetic. Um, but sometimes we have emotional jobs that aren't very productive, like I want to hire this person to be a clone of me, like a shinier, sleeker version of me, which there's already you. You don't need you. Or I want to hire a person to be the scapegoat for our team. So they'll do all the stuff that I don't want to do. And then you kind of dump stuff on them and you don't like them and they don't like you. And that's problematic. I think you can also sometimes hire people and sort of the Pygmalion effect where you're you're going to hire someone and you're going to fix them and then you think you fix them and then they're not grateful and then you're frustrated. So I think there's lots of different um, ways that you can do that. But so when you hire people, you know, be really clear on what job it is you actually need them to do Um, be willing. And I'll insert another thing is don't always hire experts, hire people who are maybe at the low end of the curve and can learn. Um, And then the third thing is just be aware of the emotional job that you're hiring that person to do.
0: Okay. Well, very good. These are all critical things. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's ungodly amounts of dysfunctional teams out there. And and you're right. Yeah. If you don't hire well and you just consider the person an automaton and don't think about their emotional outlook on things and what the job requires, what you want, then uh, you may not hire well and think that it's the people and not you.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Well, very good. So, you know, you mentioned you wrote a few books. You're working on a workshop for team building. So what are... Resources for listeners, how could they find out and contact you and get the help to disrupt themselves and reshape the organization Mm -hmm. and hire better and all that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think the easiest way for people to find me is just to go to my website, WhitneyJohnson.com. And if you want to um, take the diagnostic that we talked about of like figuring out where you are on your learning curve, it's WhitneyJohnson.com forward slash diagnostic. and then my email, if you need it for whatever reason, it's wj at WhitneyJohnson.com.
0: Well, that's great, Whitney. It's been a good interview. I really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the corner future technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast post to review and discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse